the way I help people to lower their stress levels, I almost always suggest to work out in nature, to get outside, to get their real vitamin D. That's almost everybody. It's like almost always it's one of their top three or four or five suggestions that I'll write down for them is like, this is something you can do that's free, that is extremely healing and is really where health is. Like health is in nature. And if you go spend some time with yourself, introspect in nature, most of the time you have the answers for yourself. and love beautiful, beautiful humans. Ben here. Our guest this week is Dr. Bradley Campbell, a holistic physician based in Chicago. In addition to Robin Hooding healthcare back to the masses, his phrase, Brad is a big believer in free speech and empowering you to become your own best doctor. He came onto the podcast to talk with Mike and me about habit stacking, being the hero of your own journey, getting deplatformed from social media, and how barefoot doctors may be the key to improving the healthcare system. We also got into germ theory versus terrain theory, where Brad invokes the 80-20 rule and explains how our internal ecosystem is a reflection of the external. It was so great having him on. And thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to Terrain Theory. Dr. Bradley Campbell, welcome to Terrain Theory. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? So yeah, I'm a holistic physician, chiropractic internist, which is basically a chiropractor with special internal medicine training. I also went to the acupuncture school around Chicago, and I took over a practice, a integrated holistic healthcare clinic um, that is north of Chicago. We've had about 10 different practitioners from nurses to nurse practitioners, massage therapists, hypnosis, chiropractors, acupuncturists. And um, we're about to expand into a bigger space. It's more of like a communal space. And I also started a nonprofit whose goal is to Robin Hood Healthcare Back to the Masses called the Health Assurance Movement. So we're going to get into that for sure. But first, for the listener who might have no idea, what makes holistic healthcare unique? That's a great question. I think um, holistic healthcare is unique because you're looking at the whole person. A lot of times you go to a chiropractor who looks at your back, but they're not truly really a holistic type of chiropractor or you go to an MD or a DO or a naturopathic doctor, a traditional doctor who looks at their specialty, they're looking at you through a telescopic type lens. So they're looking at your elbow or your spine or just your blood for a hematologist. They're looking at one specific aspect and not how everything interrelates. They're not looking at the systems and the patterns. They're also not looking at your mind, body, and spirit and how they connect. We also looked at things from a structural biochemical and mental emotional level. So it's really looking at the integration of the whole person, their whole life their, and their whole life story as well. How are you able to tease that story out in a single visit? That's a great question. It's typically just a really open-ended question of like what's going on and what's the whole story of what's been going on. And then you also tell them, look, you know, the doctor who I took over for used to say, I look, I've been doing this for 30 some years. And rarely, if ever, does the story just start when the problem began. So like, let's go back to like, what was your parents is health, mental and physical health, like while they were pregnant with you or can trying to conceive you. So they already start from conception and attempted conception and what that socioeconomic status was like, what that physical status, mental health status was like, what the birth, birth traumas, breastfeeding, vaccines as a child, like all those things play a role in your health. 
So just going, and then people are like, oh, I get it. They want to know about like my feelings and my emotions and they want to know about my family dynamics and like all the past traumas I've had. So then like all of that stuff, usually just like with one open-ended question like that, people just kind of like, they've been waiting to tell their story and for someone to get them and understand them and help them on a deep level. So for most people, you just give them that like opportunity and they're just going to talk for an hour. So usually the first visit is an hour, probably could be three hours, but we try to keep it to an hour just for practicality's sake. So people don't get too tired, but that is that story just telling in them itself is very healing where people a lot of times just are like, I already feel better just from telling my story. So you find, sorry, Ben, you find that people are very forthcoming with, with their ability to tell the story. I, you must occasionally encounter somebody who's reluctant to go there. Yeah. It's usually guys probably our age who are reluctant. <laughs> <laughs> you how know? Old, Bradley, how old are you? I'm 32. Right. That's what I figured. We're both mid forties. So you're a little bit yep. of distance. Yep. Yeah. It's like the 30 to 50, eight-year-old guys that are reluctant, I think. I believe that. Yeah. They're like, I'm coming for my problem. And that's it. <laughs> Fix my back. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> how, how, but you must have developed, uh, over, over the years, a, a bit of like a radar for understanding when something's being withheld. Like, okay, I, I, I appreciate what you've told me so far, but I'm getting the sense that, uh, we don't have the full story. Yeah, totally. And sometimes you can kind of like prod a little bit and people will open up. You can ask some specific questions. A lot of times, some of those people are coming in because someone else has asked them to come in, like their mm-hmm. spouse sent them in, or they're coming in because, you know, for whatever reason, they really don't want to get into it. Maybe they do just want to spend most of that first appointment, like getting their back better. So I kind of respect that. And we sort of table the story till later, and we just help them with their acute problem in that first visit. Gotcha. What do you do about, what do you do about a patient who comes in and they have started to identify with what they might call their disease and they're, they're hanging on to this and this has now become a part of who they are. I think just by being a mirror, you reflect back to them like, Hey, you said I have this thing or I am diabetic. And you're like, well, if you are diabetic, how are you going to become not diabetic? Like, so you just use their language to reflect back to them. Like, you know, it might not be helpful to use that language in your self talk or your external talk because it's going to be harder to get people better if they start saying like, I am a Lyme disease warrior. And you're like, well, if that's your identity, you have to shift the identity before the disease will often drop away. It it feels like you are wading in waters that some might define psychiatry or therapy. Yeah, 100%. I mean, all doctors, I think, want to or should be doing this because for the most part we know how to get people better it's really just like kind of like a sales marketing psychology mind game that turns into like how do we get people better um, when we already know what they need to do it's like how do we help them with habit stacking how do we help them with motivational interviewing right so they can discover their own healing process so we don't just like parent them and tell them you have to do this this this, and this like how do we empower them on a journey of self-discovery so that they can heal themselves and kind of like become the hero of their own journey. And a lot of that does have to do with psychology. I love that phrase, become the hero of your own journey. I can only imagine how empowering that might feel to step out of your office after visit one and go, oh yeah, okay, I'm in charge here. Yeah, I mean, people feel um, like I'm not 
bragging because this is true of like all naturopathic and functional medicine practitioners who practice this way, but people feel better just during and after the appointments almost always because they're like, wow, this is a place where I'm actually going to have control over my health. Can you talk a little bit about this phrase, uh, Robin Hooding healthcare back to the masses? Yeah. So in my lens, when I was going through school as a, you know, you're like gaining tons of student debt, you don't have ac financial access to um, the best practitioners around the world. I saw, I was shadowing, because I did, I've been working on 10 different degrees in natural healthcare. And so I've been shadowing some of the best minds around the country and around the globe in natural healthcare, literally like traveling to different countries to learn from the best people I can find. And a lot of those people have their knowledge behind payment barrier walls, right? They sort of won't tell you unless you join their podcast or their $20 webinar or their $5,000 course. And to me, it was like, that would be so great if people just had free access to that. So there were these ancients who are starting to kind of like finally release a lot of their teachings. And maybe that's Age of Aquarius. Maybe it's just the internet and technology, whatever it is. I think people are starting to realize like there is really no paywall and anything you do share online often does become free eventually. So I think it's just like we're trying to Robin Hood and sort of bring that like amazing amount of information that has those self-healing tools, that has the knowledge of how to heal to the masses for free. I think what you're speaking to is something, I'm a musician, right? And, uh, you know, we all hustle for, for our careers and to make a living and, and all that. But um, I've stumbled upon this concept of the karma economy or the gift economy. You hear people like Robin Wall Kimmerer speak of that in indigenous communities. Um, and I've, I think most of us could probably attest to the fact that when you, when you open yourself up and you give of yourself and you give of your knowledge to the community, it comes back tenfold. You end up reaping the bounty of um, that energy exchange, right? There's a festival here in uh, Kingston, New York called the O Positive Festival where musicians perform in exchange for a weekend of free healthcare services. And they call it bartering the art of medicine for the medicine of art. And that's the only place I've felt this like this, the magic of when money is removed from the equation, people come out of the woodwork. Like it's not just the normal people go to shows and the club owners. It's like all these like acupuncturists and chiropractors and healthcare, they don't go to clubs. They don't go to the brew pub to see a show, but all of a sudden they're there and everybody's smile is twice as big because money has been removed from the equation. And I, I just love that you are really taking that trajectory in the, I mean, I guess you could file yeah. under free healthcare, which is like this hot button plank in our crazy capitalistic society. But um, the karma economy, I think, is what you're you're working within. Yeah, hundred percent. I've realized um, some of the roadblocks we went into was like we were giving away a lot, and it was extremely valued. But at the same time, there was some stuff that was. Um, not being valued because it was free. So we went into like the opposite side of the spectrum right. where we were giving away so much that people valued it less. And then it was like, okay, if we have a suggested donation or like this is worth $1,000, but we're going to give it to you for 50 or $5 or whatever, or give you a scholarship to take this course, then people actually valued it more than if it was just given to them for free. So it's like this, it's almost I, like psychology mind tricks. I like know. We, I, 
I think both are true and it's hard to know when to do both, but something that I'm constantly navigating, right. but still providing, you know, daily free content as much as possible for people. But yeah, I think when people even give like a penny, there is that energy exchange, which does make them more invested. Well, that's and- what, that's just it. It's like, like again, at our, at our merch table, sometimes you do like just the, the industry standard CDs are 15 bucks and LPs are 25. And some days we're like, you know what? It's, it's fucking pay what you want today. And we always make more money. It's just this weird psychological dance because That's people amazing. are like, what a, what a generous offer. I'm going to give back and more. Sweet. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Bradley, if you could, if you could snap your fingers or wave a magic wand and overhaul the entire healthcare system in this country to be more, say, equitable or uh, would provide actual great outcomes, what would, what would it look like? Well... I wish we could just say, like, give everybody access for free, but I think people are too ill to sort of have free access. There's not enough doctors is the real problem. Like, And the doctors we do have are not trained well enough in how to be healthy. They're trained more in, like, disease management and sick care rather than health care. Right. Right? They don't. It's like you have to put the heal in health care. And not a lot of doctors actually heal their patients. They're talking to their patients, which can be healing, but they're not doing hands-on healing work. So... We have, even not considering that, we already have like, I think a 20,000 doctor shortage in America and it's soon to be a 50,000 doctor shortage. So that's why I'm trying to Robin Hood Healthcare back to the masses and do what you've been just been talking about, like the pay at what you can kind of thing. Because we basically have to turn lay people into healers, either self healers or what China did. China thousands of years ago had what was called barefoot doctors, which were lay people who were doing acupuncture based on like a little protocol book. So we have to basically turn people into healing each other, right? So this is a space where I think we're trying to move into, but there's definitely like legal issues of like practicing medicine without a license, all this kind of stuff um, that makes it a little more complicated. But I think we either are going to have to just have free certifications for health coaches or get a lot of people inspired to go to something like a massage or acupuncture or Reiki or chiropractic or naturopathic school or some sort of like hands-on healing type school. But I see that's where the future is going, is where it's going towards more holistic type practitioners, but then lay people being able to self-study at home, maybe in like a pseudo degree certification um, where the government won't come after them. <laughs> Even beyond, um, you know, the, the formal degrees, those just... And I, Ben and I probably bring this up every conversation, but like just ticking off the boxes of like some of the basics, getting outside, breathing some fresh air, maybe being barefoot, getting in the sun, maybe choosing organic, maybe try a cold shower. You know, all these things that are, I don't think <laughs> you're, no one's going to come after you for like preaching medical advice for some, some of those things. And, but they're so, they're such beautiful um, entry points into what you called habit stacking, which I love. Um, I mean, that's something I've been practicing these last two years have been transformative for me in terms of taking health into my own hands. And I was just really rattling off some of the things I've been doing, which honestly, where did I get them? Talking to Ben, talking to friends and fucking cruising Instagram and seeing like what Tommy John is on about and all this. Yeah. shit. You know? Right. Yeah. I love Tommy John's page. It's dope. Yeah. But uh, I feel like Instagram has become sort of a. Uh, what you were saying 2000 years ago, that little handbook in China is like, okay, well now it's digital and it's just on Instagram. Yeah. You certainly are prolific there. You've also uh, found your way off of Instagram <laughs> yes. uh, a number of times. And what were those violations? Uh, you don't know. They really don't tell you most of the time. Um, sometimes it was 
like they'll give you red flags. Like one, the first account I think I got like, uh, you know, I don't even remember at this point because like it doesn't matter to me. But like there's been times where they'll delete a post and they'll say like this violates our community guidelines, but they don't tell you what part of it actually violates, violates the guidelines. A lot of times those posts um, were basically saying things like natural immunity is great or had like the hashtag sunlight and like the benefits of vitamin D, helping your terrain get stronger, your health get stronger and trying to empower people. But I remember the post that I've tried to post twice on some backup accounts that always gets deleted is that they they value profit over your body is basically like the theme. Like if you say like they're valuing profit over people or no, I remember exactly what it was. It was they profit off your ignorance. Mm. And that was the one that like they don't seem to want shared. Isn't that fascinating? What what does that make you what does that make you think? Well, it makes me think they really do profit off your ignorance. <laughs> like it's I think that's true of every single business ever. Like if you knew how to be a real estate agent, they you they wouldn't profit off you. If you knew how to be a doctor, they wouldn't profit off you. If you knew how to be a musician, you might be able to play some of your own music kind of thing. So you wouldn't be as good. But I think if you get educated, then you don't have to spend the money there. But I think if people were educated on natural health care or they were educated on some of the downsides of conventional medicine, then uh, conventional medicine would be making a lot less money. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a little difficult to educate the people when something, a hashtag like vitamin D or sunlight gets flagged. <laughs> or natural immunity, which is really, it's, it's the inverse of that statement. I mean, natural immunity infers that um, you can do this outside of the profit paradigm. 100%. Bradley, how has your perspective, how has your life or your perspective on life and what you do changed in the last two years? Hmm. Um, well, I started the nonprofit, I like wrote a book and then started the nonprofit right before the start of the pandemic. And mm -hmm. I was planning on doing in-person events. And um, because of COVID, no one could meet in person in large gatherings. So I went to online teaching. So it got me comfortable being filmed and speaking out even before I started really speaking out about a year into the pandemic, because we had research on some of the jabs that went viral, um, like pre post blood research that usually gets censored. So maybe we won't talk about it here. I don't know. But um, it was interesting. So a lot of what happened for me was just like coming into my own sense of like, going public, like even before I got on social media, there in 2020, there was a big sense of like, fear that many of these practitioners that I was talking about who like have this ancient wisdom, there's a fear that comes from sharing a lot of these methods of treatment and cures global on a global scale or an international or a you know internet level scale because they're afraid that people will come after them because a lot of these big healers um, have had people come after them or they have been um, chased out of their state or their country. There's a Richie Schumacher is an MD that treats mold illness from people's homes. They're making them sick and he got chased out of Illinois to go to Florida. So like there's a lot of these things where like once people start gaining traction and it does start taking money away from other doctors or this, the established medical community, a lot of those people have been like gone after, so to speak. Um, so there is like a sense of fear that I've personally overcome 
um, which is basically the fear of death, which I think is what a lot of people have gone through during the pandemic is like they're dealing with their own sense of fear of death. But for me, that was basically like fear of speaking out. And I've had death threats for speaking out. So it's like in many ways, literally and figuratively, it's kind of like, what if people come after me? What if they pull my license? Because that's been happening to a lot of doctors as well. I know um, personal friends whose licenses have been threatened or Jess Piotras, who had to move from California to North Carolina. So it's happening to many people, the censorship, the, you know, like, I don't know, like the witch hunts in a way are actually happening. I was just so, going to say that. Yeah. Moving through that. It's a, it's a present day witch hunt. I mean, it's not even like that. It is that. And yet it's not really new for what we would now call alternative medicine, right? And at one, at one point right. that was the traditional medicine. And uh, I, I, my understanding, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as a chiropractor or a chiropractic internist, I mean, chiropractic medicine came under the gun at one point, right? I mean, it's, it feels yep. like it has had to work extremely hard to, um, to get its, its status back, acceptance back. Totally. Um, I mean, it was founded in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and it was under the gun from the get-go. Um, the first chiropractor and the first DO osteopathic physician actually were like good buds. And the DOs decided to go more the medical route, and the DC doctors of chiropractic decided to go the other way. Um, but it has been under the gun at multiple points and almost run extinct a few times by the medical establishment. Like there's case, like court cases that tried to, you know, shut down chiropractors for practicing medicine without a license or being pseudoscience and harming people um, with really poor research. So it's been, you know, going on for 120 some years now. Um, and even in like recently in 2017, I think it was Mercola, Joseph Mercola, Dr. Mercola. Um, I don't approve of everything he does, but like there's people like him who had the number one or top three or four or five health website search results on Google. And then Google gets a big pharmaceutical financial endowment. And then overnight, 99% of these top natural healthcare websites lost their Google search traffic because they just censored them without warning, without telling anybody. And so they lost all their business, basically. So, I mean, this happens in subtle ways that you don't know of where like things just disappear. It happens when doctors move states like Schumacher or Dr. Piotras. It happens um, in a multitude of ways or just like in med medical schools i've taught at conventional medical schools before and it happens because the kids there they're not like they're a little bit indoctrinated into the system it's kind of like the plan words but they are indoctrinated into their own system and a lot of those doctors who are teaching them are teaching them that you know dry needling is fake or acupuncture is fake but dry needling is real or they're teaching them that supplements do nothing you just pee them out Oh, even though like herbs, some herbs are real because like you don't want to take St. John's wort on an SSRI, but most of them are worthless. So like it's it's very interesting. But when I talk to MDs in the field, they're all very open minded and they kind of like want to go into this more natural functional medicine type of world. And so there are, everyone I talk to is very like cordial and open and I have a lot of standard conventional medicine friends. But um, it's definitely the way the community is going as a whole because they're the internet is really and social media for better or worse is really opening up medical doctors eyes when they post a thing and then like they get 200 comments of people who are like no i healed myself of that right mm -hmm. and they're like this is incurable and they're like i'm in remission for doing this so most doctors would have that happen like once or a couple times a year where they'll have a patient say like i 
um, in remission from rheumatoid arthritis with no disease signs in my joints. My blood work is perfect. And they would have it like once or twice in their career, maybe once a year. But now it's happening on a grander scale. So it's opening their minds up to something different. The internet is undefeated, as they say. Right. Well, it, 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 um, it, it underlines the importance of a free and open internet, and it underlines the importance of the absence of censorship across these platforms. And you are, as I said, prolific on many of these same platforms that have censored you. It's, you've, you've got to play the game. This is where the people are. And how do we, you know, how do we push back against these big tech companies that are censoring and seem to have some ties with maybe the industry, the pharmaceutical industry, like Google, as you mentioned? I mean, it's just building community, I think, is the way to push back. So whether it's, um, you know, Health Freedom for Manny, which is like the most censored nonprofit ever <laughs> about health freedom, which shouldn't be controversial, um, whether it's like that group, because when I did get deleted twice off Instagram, it was at 30,000 followers, then 90,000 followers. And now I'm up to like 240, almost 240,000. And each time it came back bigger because the community would reshare me and be like, Dr. Brad got deleted. So go follow him again. And okay. so like that makes people somewhat unstoppable. So Instagram has stopped deleting our accounts and started labeling or censoring or putting the little fact check things, or they'll just delete some posts, but they started realizing it, you have the Streisand effect. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's basically like you get deleted or censored and people want it more. Yes. Right. So it's, it's that problem. It's working against them, isn't it? Uh, people follow, as they say, follow the censorship. That's ultimately what led me down this path was seeing how many, how much information was being censored uh, and going, well, that's interesting. I, someone doesn't want me to learn that. And then I would learn it and discover that was really important for me to follow that, you know, follow that thread because now I'm much more educated, more empowered. I'm going to continue to do that. And I wish that more people, I think more people are, I think that's what we are seeing. More people are to, to use the trope waking up, uh, but you know, discovering or um, just uh, being aware of when there is censorship that maybe there's something that they need to uh, explore. I think that is heartening to hear that the community actually had your back in those instances, because I was not really cognizant that that is a, a real phenomenon. That's great to hear. I have a, a quick aside question. Have you ever heard of Gary Null? Is he on your radar at all? Uh, I have heard of Gary Nell. Yeah. yeah. I, not to, we don't have to spend too long on this, but I mean, you know, he's, he's brought a lawsuit against Wikipedia for their essentially um, what he would call defamation of character in poo pooing all the holistic arts, you know, much like you're saying, um, and was integral in, in some of the lawsuits concerning chiropractic as well. I think back in the eighties and he's been, on the radio for 50 years talking about nutrition and health. And uh, I think he's a real warrior in terms of bringing it, uh, bringing the fight to the legal system and an advocate for truth. I think you'd get a, I think you'd be inspired by his work as a sort of an elder statesman that he is. Awesome. Yeah. I'll definitely have to uh, look more into that. I just Wikipedia him. And of course it's like pseudoscience, alternative yeah. medicine, questionable dietary supplements. <laughs> exactly. Quackery. Exactly. It, it, well, it's interesting that, that you say that, Brad, because what what turned me on to Terrain Theory, what what led me to and Mike to create a webcast uh, podcast called Terrain Theory was when I Googled Terrain Theory after having seen it pop up and go, that's really interesting. I had never really heard of this before. And I Googled it and you know, the first page of results is debunked, you know, debunked pseudoscience. It was it was that thing. And yet that and that flew in the face of what I was 
hearing and reading and researching elsewhere. And, and I thought this is, seems really important. Um, this seems like a really important uh, maybe split that happened in the past that should be explored. And you posted maybe, I don't know, a couple months ago, a germ theory versus terrain theory. And I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe in the balance of the two. Um, like I'm not one to go out and say all germs are fake or don't, not that they're fake, but like germs don't cause disease. A lot of the, um, more terrain theory people right now are sort of saying that like viruses don't cause disease, that they might be byproducts or exosomes or just like there's no good enough proof for some people that viruses cause disease. For most of the medical community, they say that there is, they agree with the proof that viruses cause disease, but it is based on assumptions. So I'm sure as like Cowan and I just got to talk to Kaufman this last weekend about this as well. Um, there's a lot of assumptions in virology that viruses cause disease, and that may or may not be true. For me personally, I do still believe that viruses cause disease, or at least some viruses cause disease, maybe not all viruses cause all diseases, but um, it's definitely interesting to point out the downsides in what we do know about contagiousness of different germs and viruses, because there's a lot we don't know. There's a lot that still needs to be done in terms of research and in terms of like how virology is done that could be bettered or enhanced. So I'm a fan of like what I'd say like 80-20, where I think like 80% of health is your terrain. Like if you make yourself healthy and strong, um, then you can pretty much handle any germ you come into contact with and that you are mostly germ inside of yourself anyways. So it's kind of balancing your internal ecosystem with the external ecosystem. Like you're like a huge ocean as well. Like you're a mini earth inside yourself. You're a mini ocean. You're a mini globe. You're a mini, you know, earth that you literally walk on. They say um, the gut, your gut flora by size is actually more fungal than bacteria. And that's the, also true of the earth that we walk on. It's more fungal than bacteria or anything else based on its um, like probiotic and fungal content of the earth. And the exact ratio is the exact same between our gut, a healthy gut microbiome and the earth soil biome as well. So there's all these like instances of humans mimicking nature and kind of like, um, like again, into more nerding out on this, but basically I think, um, for me, germs can cause disease. Like I'm not going to go sleep with someone who has an STD or I'm not going to just go like kiss someone who has gum disease. Um, because that could is known to or thought to be contagious. Um, so different like bacteria and other infections and like Lyme disease, I'm not gonna go like play with a whole bed of Lyme uh, ticks so I can get Lyme disease maybe. Um, so I do believe in those germs diseases, but I do think one person, if you have 10 people who all get bit by a tick, not everybody is going to develop Lyme disease. So the big question becomes, why do some people then get Lyme disease when they're all bit by a tick and why do some not? It could be age. It could be ones on antibiotics and their immune system is weak. One's on steroids or in the immune system is weak. It could be ones in chemotherapy and the immune system is weak. It could be one is vitamin D deficient and their immune system is weak. It's a whole plethora of reasons. And it seems like uh, the past, again, looking at the past two years and looking at COVID, it, it would appear that terrain theory almost proved itself out. Who were the people who got sick? Who were the people who died? This is what I keep coming back to when people ask me, well, what's terrain theory? And I say, well, we just experienced it. Look at who died from COVID. It was the people who were obese or the people who had the comorbidities. I mean, it's a very, it's a very general, broad 
stroke, but seemed to have almost proved itself in that sense, provided evidence to itself. Totally. I think all people are able to admit that once yeah. they get out of their emotional reactive type brains. Yeah. If you can like sit down and have a calm conversation, most people are like, yeah, you're right. Like working out matters, weight matters. Your, uh, your, your comments just now about how we are, I guess is one way to say it is as above, so below, right? That we are this like microcosm of a greater macrocosm of the earth. And even down to the ratios and proportions, it seems to be that you're suggesting that the earth is mostly fungal matter. And maybe so are we on the microbiome level. Um, and with Cowan, we just had that conversation last week, so it's sort of fresh in our mind, but you know, he's a real stickler for words. And we were sort of trying to pin him down on what he believes health is or what in a word. And we, we bandied a couple words about, um, I think balance was one and uh, being whole was one. But your comments just now on how we are a reflection of the greater whole, the biodiversity of the earth I mean, it seems like a no-brainer and what what is the word that's wrapped up in that is something about uh, some element of like a pure ecology or a, a, cl- a clean nature an undisturbed environment of of, of biodiverse uh i you know i'm fumbling because i'm looking for what is that word that is whole, that is whole, whole. that is i mean it, i would i might say like health is a harmony of our internal ecosystem balancing with the external ecosystem harmony that's the fucking word there you go that's the word brad then i i circle back to how you approach uh, any given patient and getting their story and then coming up with a plan to help them where does nature fit in it's in almost every conversation um, if anything, I could do it more, but a lot of times it's the way I help people to lower their stress levels. I almost always suggest to work out in nature, to get outside, to get their real vitamin D. That's almost everybody. It's like almost always it's one of their top three or four or five suggestions that I'll write down for them is like, this is something you can do that's free, that is extremely healing and is really where health is. Like health is in nature. And if you go spend some time with yourself, introspect in nature, most of the time you have the answers for yourself that you've been looking for externally. Because so many people come to the doctor looking externally for answers. When I sort of just turn it back on them, like you have the answers, let's get them from you. I can help guide them and point things out about how their body communicates to them or do blood work to show them new layers of awareness. But at the end of the day, they often have their own answers of like how they want to get better, how much they want to do themselves, and what often were the things that were causing their health problem in the first place. In addition to uh, driving with the top down, how are some of the ways that you connect with nature? I luckily live right by the beach on Uh Lake Michigan near Chicago. So I walk and ground my feet every morning. And the mornings I do, I notice like I did it, I skipped out for like a week. And I'm like, why did I do that? Because when I do, I have drastically more energy like I put my feet up to let the sun hit my bottom, my soles, soles, soles of my feet, or I walk in the lake or walk on the beach, even when it's like 40 degrees out, just for a little bit. And then you can do things like when it's 40 and your feet are freezing, because the water is probably like 30 on the sand, you can like rub your feet together, like you would your hands and kind of warm them back up and then keep walking. But um, it's kind of like cold water therapy in a way, when it's this time of year in Chicago. But I think 
for me, it's getting to water because in Chinese medicine, I'm water deficient. So I think like getting near water or watching the sunrise and sunset are two crucial ones. And the sunrise sunset is probably more important than being near water for most people, just because how it impacts your cortisol rhythms and your melatonin sleep wake cycles, which is probably the first way to regulate anybody's autonomic nervous system is getting their sleep wake cycles and energy cycles regulated which are so thrown off by all the blue light and the devices that we use and how we stay up way past the sun going down and we don't see the sunrise we don't see the sunset so disconnected from uh the rhythms of the day yeah i almost have a dream of like everyone like the lion king or something like everyone on the beach just like waiting for the sun to come up and everyone's just like oh my god this is great like look at the earth and like just healing like that's I'm like, why is everyone asleep in their home? Why are they not outside for sunrise? Like, they obviously don't know how good this is, and it's free. The, the Dr. Bradley Campbell sun, sunrise sessions. Dude, I'm in. Uh, I'm all, I am in, literally. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, la- about six months ago, some friends of ours moved to New Hampshire, actually largely uh, surrounding these health freedom issues in New York, where I live. And um, we adopted their chickens. <laughs> And I wanted, I sort of wanted chickens anyway, and this was an easy way to get chickens. But when you have chickens, uh, you're, I rise when the rooster crows, I rise when the rooster crows. I mean, that shit is true, that old song. Um, and as a res- and at first it was begrudging, like, oh my God, those fucking roosters. And now they've sort of settled in. My point is, I see the sunrise every morning now because of the chickens. They've gotten me on the circadian rhythm. It's partly because I've been home more than I've ever been for the last 20 years since I was sort of kicked off the road two years ago. Um, And there's my garden and there's the bees and uh, my watering and the cats. We never had cats. Now we have cats. But the chickens um, sort of like I had to. They were already on the beach taking (laughs) taking in the sunrise. And now I'm joining their party. And it's been so good for me because I think even if I was getting up early, I would probably peel myself out of bed and make my coffee and like maybe sit at the kitchen table and collect my thoughts. Now the first thing I do is I go outdoors and I have how do to, you, how do you find that's helped your mental or physical health? Well, like you said, habit stacking, right? Like I've been sort of like, I've been, and I, I, I like to qualify this because it has, it's a privilege that I have been able to devote the time and energy to pursue all of these modalities um, because I'm essentially an unemployed musician, right? My wife has a job working in the family business, which is running um, an event center down the road called the Ashokan Center. But I, I know I homeschool, we homeschool the kids and my time is my own really for the first time in my life to, as Ben and I have often said, like we're on this self uh, prescribed graduate course in what it means to be healthy. So I can, I can throw myself into the fire and all the modalities. And this is just one more um, in my, my habit stacking. And so how, how does it manifest in health? I don't, I just generally feel fucking great pretty much, (laughs) pretty much all the time. And um, I specifically asked Tom Cowan about ways to mitigate um, the bombardment of EMF. And because we do occasionally get out on the highway and we go to a festival in Florida because they're the only ones that'll have us. And, um, and you know, you, it's not lost on me the like the parade of more and more and more and more cell phone towers. And he suggested exactly what you just said: is get outside, barefoot, connect with the sunrise and the sunset as ways 
to um, to re-engage your own electrical fields to sort of like counteract the the non-native electrical fields. Yeah, hundred percent. It's all about like just reconnecting to the earth. Yeah, and it, like the the earth is sort of warming up, and it's springtime, and it's been a nice week, and it's like I just I'm like. Uh, I almost feel like a dog, you know, like a do- like you have a dog. It's like a dog goes crazy when it just can't wait to get outside. And it's like, that's me now. It's like, we've been all cooped up all winter. And I, I, I should say the first thing I would do up is stoke the wood stove. I haven't had to light the fire in a couple of days. Instead, I'm outside barefoot. Even if it's chilly, I'm outside. I'm facing east. I'm barefoot. We just took a tree down to let even more sunlight in. And I just, I just, I can't imagine my life without this morning ritual now i mean again and i don't mean to just keep talking about me and how i'm a musician but like musicians get home at 3 a.m and maybe they smoke a joint and then they go to bed at 5 a.m and then they sleep till noon like that's a cliche but it's fucking real now i uh i'm in bed by nine ish reading a book falling asleep 30 seconds later and i'm up when the sun rises and it's a whole new me Nice. Brad, what are some of your other, uh, what, what do we call non-negotiables during the day? The things that you make sure you do, you've just described one of them, getting up, walking on the beach barefoot. What are some other things that you work into your day that you've integrated into your day to tend to your own terrain? Um, I mean, just eating well and hydrating, like pretty simple, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nature, movement, eat well, hydrate, sleep. Those things are, I mean, my non-negotiables, you know, Tommy John has his seven. We're about to release a little like grading scale for people because like the, all the left brainers in the world need a little like scorecard, right? So we're going to release a free scorecard for people. It's like scale of zero to 10, like how well did you do today? And it's all of those things. It's like, give yourself a point if you had breakfast, give yourself or like eight if you intermittent fasted or like give yourself a point if you ate well, give yourself a point if you hydrated enough. Uh, take away a point if you had an alcoholic drink or like too much caffeine. Um, take a, like add points if you did something healing or introspective. Add a point for like getting to nature. Add a point for community, connection, love. I think a big one would be either fun or love. Mm. Um, humans will like babies will literally die if they don't get enough physical touch, mm-hmm. and they'll malnourish. They'll they will not develop into a full grown human without physical touch or love. And so like you'll become like a, like if you're raised by wolves or something, like you're not going to turn into a normal human. Um, so I think like the connection and community everyone's been lacking and longing for is one of the big things I talk to patients a lot about now is like regaining community, regaining physical touch with whomever they feel most comfortable with and vitamin F, which is having fun. Like a lot of people are not playful. They've lost the sense of how to interact with others. And having fun, being playful, doing activities and sports and things is like the my best biohack in terms of health is like, what's the most fun, whether it's playing music or sports or doing like a stand-up comedy class and getting yourself into some new um, hobby type thing. I think fun is drastically underrated. I think reconnecting, reconnecting with the people, reconnecting with your, your community and that social circle, uh, you know, you think back to the last two years and how we were told the to social distance, we were, uh, isolated, we were quarantined. And are you, are you seeing in your practice, the ramifications on the health side to those, those, uh, the quarantines and those steps that were taken to protect us from the pandemic? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, 
a lot of people, there's financial stressors, whether it's from inflation here in the U.S. or their businesses being shut down or losing their job. Um, like you were saying, like you're no longer you know, doing your normal traveling musician thing or like everyone's jobs is most people's jobs have shifted in some way. More pay, less pay, different hours, work from home, going in, going out of the office, um, moving locations, changing states. So I think it's impacted like every aspect of people's lives. But the community and lack of physical touch, I'm seeing a lot just like that longing for connection. People's hearts are definitely burdened and heavy physically and emotionally. And they really are just craving connection and community again. Well, the one thing that I, I know you're providing the people who follow you on, on social is laughter. Uh, you are a bit of a meme machine. Yeah. <laughs> well, are, where are you finding those? And are those, how many of those are original? Are you sourcing them? And I mostly just, you know, like a jazz musician, I'm stealing my licks from the best. So <laughs> I go on TikTok and uh, look for ones on TikTok where people send me stuff I'm like this would make a great meme. So I'll like give whoever credit for whoever the original creator was. And then I'll tweak it with different music or I'll edit it, splice it up, add different captions or add my own like long caption to kind of like tweak the meaning towards some health purpose. Um, but I've only had a couple people get upset and ask me to take it down a couple creators. Um, so I think for the most part, it's just trying to like bring up the vibe and that usually people enjoy that. Plus it's like the giving economy. Like it just draws more people to the original creator. Well, it's interesting because it's so easy to take all of this very seriously. You know, everything that's happened in the past two years, you've been kicked off of Instagram, you've been censored, you're you know, fighting for health freedom and bodily sovereignty. And those are very serious topics and very serious missions. Uh, and we can't forget to laugh. You know, we can't forget to have some fun and find the humor in it all. And you're doing that successfully. It's really appreciated. I look forward to those collections because it reminds me like, okay, thank you. I can, you know, I can laugh at this. We can all sort of joke about it at the same time as we're fighting. I think also, and I hope this gets reflected back to you enough, Bradley, um, because the times we've been living through can be feel so heavy and so uh, dogmatic and there's watch this link and people link wars flying back and forth. And it's so important to, to have that levity uh, interjected, like, like deliver the, you know, the medicine with the sugar. I think, well, that's a really outdated <laughs> uh, idiom, yeah. isn't it? That's funny. Um, but you, you've really become sort of like a, a master at that de delivering um, well thought out, articulate content, always with, um, a measure of grace and um, solidarity and in the in the spirit of not demonizing anybody but just speaking your truth in a collective um, in a way that brings us all together in a, in a in a the spirit of solidarity and you do it with humor and goodwill um, and really just sort of even keeled and I know personally like um, you know when I've tried to pull people into the health freedom conversation um, it can be a slippery slope and you've become sort of a go-to resource for me, um, particularly your Instagram feed. My wife is a big fan uh, and you're one of, uh, she's not as like deep into the rabbit hole of health freedom as, as I am, <laughs> but, but y she follows you, right? And like, maybe yeah. that's enough for her. And also uh, another musician friend, uh, Ruthie was talking to recently, who's been really sequestered and living on this, piece of land in the Hudson Valley alone and 
isn't really on board with the narrative but has a son who wants to go on tour and might get the jab and it's sort of eating her up inside. And she's like, thank God for Bradley Campbell. It's like, uh-huh. you're, you're literally keeping people sane. And I just want to communicate that to you. Uh, Cause you can't hear it enough. It's, it's fucking, uh, thank it, you. it's important to keep people sane as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing my best. And there are times where I'm like, be easy to, attack someone's character be like what's this guy doing and like sometimes you poke fun in them in a funny way but like i try to keep it positive as much as possible and i was talking to another um uh, doctor friend this morning who we disagreed on like a recent video that went viral and um i thought like the video was a little bit too conspiracy or pseudoscience she thought the video had some good points and we both thought it had good points but i also think like the some of the scientific conclusions and the overall conclusions they made about how COVID gets spread and whatever wasn't quite accurate. So I pointed that out in a public post. Um, And a lot of people are like, oh, thank you for saying that. I was too scared to say that. But it comes down to, I think I'm trying to not go too far down the rabbit hole for people. Like, and personally, I stay out of it myself. Like, I don't go too far down the rabbit hole because um, you could say, well, you're not going to full truth at that point. But a lot of it gets to conjecture, I think. And what we came to the head was basically like, I tend to think that people are inherently good and that most of the people running organizations and the World Health Organization, the CDC and FDA, like I think most of those people are good people just who are very well-meaning. Maybe they have bad advisors. Maybe they haven't read the right research. Maybe they were indoctrinated in their medical school. But I think most people are good. And there may be some evil people at the top who have their agenda or like the five families or two families that kind of like own everything and they have their own agenda, what they want politically or whatever, or they just want to profit. But I think a lot of it is just like capitalistic structures where corporations have to choose profit over people in order to stay alive. Like if they are a good person and get kicked out of their CEO job, then someone else will just replace them. Like if they're like, we need to do what's better for humanity and freedom and natural law and rights. Someone's going to be like, well, that's not benefiting us. That's going to cost us $3 billion. So like they're going to get kicked off as CEO and someone else is just going to step right into their role and do the same thing. So for me, I think the organizational structures maybe are like um, formatted and structured in a way that's maybe choosing profit over people, which could end up as, you know, promoting evil or not something virtuous. Um, so I think that's where the problem lies for me, rather than believing there's some huge like conspiracy or structure or plot against humanity or whatever. Um, I don't even know, like those things are like the Illuminati or the other conspiracies that people get go down those rabbit holes. But I think like I'm trying to stay out of the rabbit hole for the most part, because I think it helps keep people more positive. And some of the rabbit holes do go into like a pretty dark negative side as well. It's easy to get dragged down by that negative energy. I think it's really important to come back to that for everybody. What do you believe? Do you believe that people are fundamentally good or do you think they are fundamentally evil? And then you start from there. You've done that. And that really does help color everything that you do, the way you behave, the way you talk, and then also how you choose to engage with things like Watch the Water, which did go viral and you know got a lot of people talking and um, maybe made some raised some good points. But ultimately, at the end, for me, the big red flag was okay. You're selling. You're just you're pushing the cure right at the end. One, you've just pumped everybody full of fear, and then two, you've offered the cure at the end, and that was a that was sort of a big red flag and didn't feel genuine to me. Yeah, for me, the big part was like if the water was poisoning us you would probably see it in animals and children and um, 
you know, people who aren't drinking the water would also um, not be getting sick as well. So to me, there's like something beyond a poisoned water. And when I dove a little bit deeper this morning into the original doc artist who is talking about it, he does bring up a lot of research. And I think the um, documentary or whoever was producing it kind of, I think, made it a little more sensationalized and made it made some conclusions that the original doctor wasn't trying to make. So I think that's not all on him. It's on the collective of whoever did that with them. But yeah, I think um, some of the logic just doesn't quite add up yet for me. I think it, it for every for everyone who watched it and reacted to it and maybe shared it, it uh, the the lesson that I relearned was one: consume this thing, take a step back, and critically think through all of it before you draw any conclusions and, and go wildly sharing it to others and stoke the fear unnecessarily. Take that moment to critically think through, do the research, do all the exhaustive research before you comment. And the problem is that in today's society, it's the rush to you know get it out there first and post first and be the one where it, the the story broke. We're all become like these citizen journalists, and we have to be careful. We've got to balance that out. Yeah, it's really important. I think to know like we're all citizen journalists. Whether you have like a two hundred follower page or a two hundred thousand follower page or a two twenty million follower page, like. Anyone can put something that's sensational that goes viral. And so we all have kind of a civic duty in a way to not deceive our neighbor. Yeah. Well, you know, when, you know, the Internet's getting a little bit more seasoned or older at this point. Um, but, you know, it's it's a derisive comment to be like, well, you're a, what did you see that on YouTube? Like that, you, you know, if someone wants to refute what you're saying, what did you see that on YouTube? And that's still that's still a, a comment that you get here trotted out. And yet. Here we are all uh, right. we're all doing it. Yeah. Because yeah, that's that is where I saw that. Maybe not YouTube, but on on the the black box. Totally. And there's a bunch of people who are going to be like, "Yeah, I healed myself through YouTube." <laughs> <laughs> right. Or like Will Padilla Brown is like, "I put myself through graduate school in mycology on YouTube." I mean, yeah, all of this is true and then some. Uh Bradley, where can people find and follow you? So Instagram is dr.bradleycampbell, dr.bradleycampbell, like the soup, Campbell like the soup, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. And then um, I guess they could text me if they want. It's 847-961-2522, U.S. number. Or we have a website, um, campbellcaremembership.com as well. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Bradley Campbell, we really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to hop on the podcast and talk a little bit more about what you do, what you have been doing. And from both Mike and I, we really appreciate you being a leader in the health freedom movement and being a spokesperson for free speech and also just for empowering everyone that comes into your circle to, uh, to, to learn how to heal themselves. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for you two doing what you're doing as well. Thanks, Bradley. And that, my beautiful humans, was Dr. Bradley Campbell. You can learn more about Brad at drbradleycampbell.com and be sure to follow his Instagram at dr.bradleycampbell for his daily video content and Sunday funnies. Laughter, medicine, you know the deal. Check the episode description for direct links. The Terrain Theory Podcast is hosted by Ben Hardy, that's me, and Mike Miranda, two friends since childhood on a journey to explore an alternate paradigm, Terrain Theory where agency, accountability, and empowerment are central to achieving better health. Nothing you heard here should be taken as medical advice, as neither Mike nor I are medical professionals. Remember that you are light, you are love, and you 
are your primary healthcare provider. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you on the next one.